0: This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message.
1: In 1960, William Branham gave a story about a vision that he claimed to have had. One that started out as a simple vision of a wonderful place filled with God's bride, but later would be added with enhancements to capture the imaginations of his congregations. In November 1960, he summarizes the story. He says, I had a vision not long ago, you've heard of it. And I looked there, I seen all those people over there. There was millions of them. I said, you mean he comes to me? They said, yes, then we go back with you. I said, well, does every minister have to stand that? They said, yes, sir. Every minister has to stand on his ministry with his congregation. He says, yes, sir. This angel that was speaking to me said that. And then I said, will Paul have to stand too? Paul has to stand with his congregation. I said, then I know I'm alright, because I've preached word by word the same thing that he did, speaking of Paul. And when I did that, millions screamed out, that's where we're resting, amen. 1961, con- 1960 Condemnation by rep- Representation Now this story, like all of Branham's fabrications, grew and grew over time. Details were added to embellish the story, almost as if Branham thought he were sitting in front of a Boy Scout tent telling campfire stories. He would add his dog to the story, how his dog came and licked his hand just before seeing the other people. Some 90-year-old woman who this story obviously would have appealed to, and more. While enslaved by the cult of William Branham, this story is told with pride of their wonderful leader. And they do not realize that they are actually promoting theology that comes from the Catholic Church who they claim is the Antichrist. This story describes Catholic purgatory. It's a temporary resting place for those under grace before meeting Christ. And William Branham, he describes it perfectly like Catholic purgatory. When he tells the story in the sermon titled From That Time, he says this, And I look coming from across the hill, there came old Fritz, He looked at me and came up and licked my hand and I patted him. Just then old prince, my horse, came, put his neck around my shoulder and began to nicker. I said, oh God, and I looked up and he said, all that you ever loved and all that you ever loved you is gathered here. And I said, I want to see Jesus. I want to see the one that I've loved and worked for. And they said, you can't see him right now he's higher than this. Sometime between 1160 and 1180 AD, the idea of purgatory was introduced to the Catholic Church. It was an extra biblical idea that was very similar to other pagan religions. Buddhism, for instance, believes in a holding place for the dead and therefore offers prayers to those that have not reached their final destination. Even in Judaism, we find the idea of a holding place is supported. The Jews do not believe that Christ came and suffered and died for our sins, died to conquer death and hell, and rose again so that we can rise with Him. Therefore, they still believe that death has its power over the body. It's a holding place until the Messiah returns. But Christianity, true Christianity, accepts Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. They accept the message of Paul promoting that we do not die. We are simply caught up with Jesus Christ. Paul knew the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he knew what Jesus taught about the coming kingdom of heaven. Even to the man that was on the cross beside Jesus, there was no holding place. It is interesting because Christ himself had not yet died, and there was still work to be done as he conquered death, hell, and the grave. It's confirmation that God is not limited to our time and space. To the man on the cross, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He did not say, Truly today you will go to a holding place, that will one day be called purgatory, and you will remain there in limbo until I decide to return to you. But the cult followers accept this false vision as though it were some supernatural revelation. Rather than comparing the vision back to the scriptures to confirm its authenticity, they accept it by blind faith. Why? Because this man, William Branham, said these words i've preached the same message as paul and the millions screamed we're resting on that but today i want to present to you the message that paul preached not by my own words like william branham did but by the words of the apostle paul if you're resting on something and you've never looked to see what's underneath there's a good chance you're resting on some quicksand. At the surface, Branham seems to preach the same message as Paul. He holds a Bible in his hand as a prop for his stage act. And he says the name Jesus many times during his sermons. And then he takes a one-liner verse from that book and bases his context on that one line from the book. Notice I said his context because the one line is not in context with the chapter. But this vision itself is contrary to Paul's entire message. Paul proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live the perfect life, to suffer and die for our sins, conquered death, hell, and rose again so that we can rise with him not so that we can sit in a holding cell. Paul said that our eternal bodies were waiting already for us and simply by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by grace through faith. He said in 2 Corinthians 5.1, Paul says, For we know that if the tent is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house that's not made with hands, eternal in the heavens and the gospel of jesus christ is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the old testament god promised a redeemer that would come to fulfill the part of the old covenant that we could not keep you see the old covenant was a contract it had two sides to it god gave promise of blessings to the jews if they were able to meet his requirements And if they met them, there were over 300 blessings that would be given to Israel. The other part of that contract was the disclaimer. Like if you had other contracts yourself for your loan or your house or your car, if you do not uphold your part of the bargain, you'll likely lose your property. God gave the disclaimer that if Israel did not uphold their part of the bargain, instead of 300 blessings, they would be receiving 300 curses and this was not an eternal covenant it's a good thing too because if it were everlasting we would still remain under those 300 curses humanity itself might be non-existent Paul's message was that this new covenant of grace had canceled the old covenant of law the old covenant was obsolete he said Paul said in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And that's what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews 8, 13. And when Paul spoke of the new covenant of grace throughout his letters, it was always called the eternal covenant. It had no end. He says this, Paul says, Now may the the God of peace who brought again from our dead Lord Jesus Christ the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us which is pleasing to his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever, Hebrews 13. But William Branham could never grasp the fact fact that something with a beginning could ever be made eternal. It was the concept that confused him so much that he preached nonsense about hell not being eternal, or that Jesus Christ himself could not be eternal. No such thing as eternal, burning hell, he says. You'll burn for millions of years, but anything that was eternal never had a beginning or an end, and hell was created. He said that in 1962, is this the sign of the end? Yet when Jesus Christ spoke of our eternal life, we find that he used the same word eternal that Paul used in his message about accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you would not go to hell eternally. Jesus Christ said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, John 5, 39. That same word that Jesus Christ used for eternal is the Greek word aion. It is a-i-o-n-i-o-n. It is the same word that Jesus Christ used when he himself called hell eternal. Matthew 25, 46, he says this, And these things will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. That same word is used in both of those, both of those translations. <clears throat> Branham even went so far as to deny that the Son of God was eternal, which is heresy. Branham says in 1954, for if he was the Son of God, he ought to have a beginning of time. He ought to have been born off to be a son. Is that right? if he was the Son of God. Denying the eternal Son of God is not only denying Paul's message, it is denying your own salvation. If Christ was not eternal, if he died as just a man, like William Branham taught, then how can a man save the world from sin? Only the Son of God can take away the sins of the world. This is so far in conflict with paul's message that it's almost as though william branham is trying to pick a fight with the apostle paul to the hebrews paul says this but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he created the world hebrews 1 2 now If the Son of God created the world, yet the Son of God had a beginning with Mary, we have a problem. The world was not created when Mary gave birth to the Messiah. Paul's message is repeated to the Colossians. Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him so if we have paul arguing back with truth against william branham's heresy it's a conundrum it's like he's saying no brother bill he was the firstborn of all creation all things were created through him and for him. These are obviously the biggest conflicts between William Branham's message and Paul's message of truth. The very foundation of the two messages disagree with each other. The foundations themselves are in conflict. But then if you take your viewpoint From the overview of the two ministries, you'll find that many of the details contained within are also in conflict. The most obvious detail in disagreement with Paul's message and William Branham's message was the law itself. To enforce the viewpoint of how his cult should have the appearance of being different from other Christians in the world, Branham taught law. Portions of the Mosaic law were snipped out and then enforced while other portions were omitted. This is the very thing that Paul rebuked for all the people in Galatians 4. Paul just spent the first several verses proclaiming that Christ had set us free and that the old covenant of law was replaced with the new covenant of grace and then asked them, why on earth would you try to enforce parts of the law when you aren't even keeping all of the law. Paul says this in Galatians 4. He says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise." Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. He says one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. He just called all of these people who are practicing law, he called them Hagar. He says, but Jerusalem is above and free. She is our mother. That's Galatians 4. Read it yourself. That question is very fitting and applicable to our days when we were once bound by the chains of the cult of William Branham. To those that are still enslaved, we can ask that very same question. You who listen to William Branham's laws, which mostly deal with your outward appearance, why? Why do you place yourself... Under portions of the law without keeping all of the law. It doesn't make any sense. An entire section, entire section of Romans is written describing how we are released from that law. Paul says this Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding a person as long as he lives? for a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives but if her husband dies she is released of the law of marriage accordingly she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is yet alive but if her husband dies she is free from that law and if she marries another man if she marries another man she is not an adulteress likewise my brothers you have died to the law let me repeat that you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may be you may belong to one another to whom has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God for while we are living in the flesh our sinful passions aroused by that law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death but now we are released from that law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not according to the old way of written code. But William Branham twisted the words of that scripture regarding law. Christ came to magnify the law, to put it under a microscope so he could show, that the, show the Pharisees that the law had failed. That's part of the gospel. While the Pharisees kept the law, they had missed the purpose of that law. They had lived by a set of rules rather than love for our fellow man. Branham taught that the magnification was the set of rules within the law, not the law itself to show how it failed, failed, rather than Paul's message where he states, now we are released from the law. Branham taught, now... We're under a bigger law. He says this in Serpent Seed. He said, We went back in Deuteronomy and showed that an illegitimate child, a bastard child, could not enter the kingdom, enter the congregation of the Lord for 14 generations. Branham said, That was under the law. And Christ came to magnify the law. Branham asked, How much more is it now? It's ironic, because William Branham himself was less than 14 generations from a bastard child. Was he calling himself Serpent Seed? It's beyond me why so many just blindly accept William Branham's fabricated story about his vision of purgatory. Surely there were people there who had studied their Bibles and knew that this Catholic teaching that this vision was based upon was a Catholic teaching of purgatory. But when he falsely claimed that he was preaching the same message that Paul preached, why did nobody stand up? Why did the ministers who studied their Bibles not stand up and cry foul? The only answer that I can come up with is also found in Paul's message. It is the only part of Paul's message that I can find that truly lines up with William Branham's message. Paul seems to be pointing directly to William Branham's ministry that would one day come, and he actually mentions the message of William Branham in his letter to the Thessalonians. Paul writes this, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is the activity of Satan, with all power, listen to this, and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception, for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved listen to this part therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness we've shown how William Branham lied about himself time after time after time we've shown how William Branham lied about his visions such as this Catholic vision of Catholic purgatory, or the vision of the bridge where Branham claimed to have prophesied about men that would one day fall from a bridge for a bridge that was built long before he was ever even born. But people continue to believe it. They would rather believe a lie coming from the mouth of this man who claimed to have taught the same message that Paul preached. Just because he claimed that this description of Catholic purgatory was real, many will blindly follow this man into the ditch. Is it because God has sent them a strong delusion? Is that why they're so insistent to believe what is false? I'll leave you with this question. After the recent publication by The Voice of God Recordings, wherein the Bible was thrown under the bus... Many admit that they believe what is not true. The entire summary of the publication was that it's okay that my daddy lied to you people because the Bible lied too. I feel cringes of blasphemy even saying that sentence, even though I'm saying it jokingly. If you accepted to believe which is false, have you accepted unrighteousness? Paul said that God would send them a strong delusion in order that all may be condemned who do not believe in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Does this mean that the headquarters published an article of unrighteousness and promoted followers of unrighteousness? Wouldn't you rather believe the truth? It's so much easier to believe something if it's true. If you try to believe something that's false, you'll find yourself being one of the three types of believers that William Branham taught. The believers, the unbelievers, and the make-believers. If you're claiming to believe something that you also admit is not true, does that make you a make-believer? It's an eternal conflict in your belief system. Trying to make yourself believe something that you've openly admitted is not true. Wouldn't you rather be a believer? Wouldn't you rather believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul preached? The good news that we've been lifted from the curse of the law. And that we're not going to have to sit in some holding cell waiting for Christ to rise. He's already risen. We can accept him by faith. When we die, our mortal bodies will put on immortality. Not sit in purgatory.